Greetings to our dear parishioners and friends of St. Anne's Church on this rainy morning in Washington. As I offer Mass today for you and invite all of you who join us also by way of the media to enter into spiritual communion with hearts and minds raised up in gratitude to God for the gift of his divine mercy. Mercy is the general theme today in our liturgical readings on this 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time. So we're going to reflect today a bit on mercy. Let's begin, though, with a common experience, which I'm sure you all know too well. It's so easy to write off people who don't agree with us. They might have a different opinion about politics or racism or what's happening all around us in the wave of this pandemic, the economy, or this election year, among other topics. It's easy for gentle conversation to change into words which flare up and get loud and disagreeable. We've all had those moments when we allowed another's opinion to get us irritated, and then our response gets testy, even dismissive. Some of us, I'm sure, have even lost friends because the difference of opinion on a given subject got out of control, resulting in a separation. It seems today in our popular culture that it's much easier to dismiss someone who has a different opinion or perspective. So many examples come to mind. For example, I can't believe you think that way. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You voted for him? Really? I don't want to see you anymore. You're so liberal. I hate liberals. You're so conservative. And the like. When people don't see it my way, it's so easy to write them off because they don't agree with me. It's funny how so many seem to know everything there is about a subject. They seem to have an opinion about everything. They seem to know everything about anything and everything. And their opinion is the truth. It's usually not, but they think it is. And because you don't agree with me, there's something wrong with you. Instead of listening to a different opinion, as I said, it's just seemingly easier to dismiss the other person and judge them as this or that and walk away, but usually with bad feelings. The art of listening and managing a conversation on delicate subjects seems to be a bygone thing these days. We hear a lot about having a so-called conversation about a topic. Let's have that conversation, right? However, it's really often the case that people don't want a real conversation. They don't want a dialogue. They want their own monologue. It's what one of my good friends and parishioner here calls binary monkey chatter. Two opposing monologues, spewing words and sounds and fury simultaneously, and neither really willing to listen attentively to the other, but yapping, yapping, yelling. Not a pretty scene, but quite familiar, even popular. One antidote to this so-called binary monkey chatter 
is the Socratic method. Socrates would engage his students on a topic by asking a question at every turn of the conversation. By asking a series of questions, the student inevitably would wind up contradicting himself and have to backpedal to revise his opinion. In the end, the student's opinion was shown up as illogical. Frustrated that his opinion was not the truth, the student would acknowledge that he wasn't right and he would seek Socrates for a more clear understanding of the topic. And then through a series of back and forth statements and more questions, the art of listening and gentle response would seek to minimize the feelings and direct the conversation to something substantial. But what is always operative in the Socratic method of questioning and answering is the mutual respect which Socrates had for his students and students had for him. And it is this sense of respect which has to be the foundation for proper conversation, respect. The art of conversation is not fundamentally about the topic. It's about the persons engaged. And I think if we kept this in mind before we started heavy conversations about any controversial topic of the day, the manner and mood of that conversation would stay on track and we could actually accomplish a conversation. Respect for the person does not mean that I have to agree with their opinion. Respect does not mean that I have to approve of another's perspective or opinion. Respect rather means that I am in the presence of a person who is owed the justice of civility and good manners. But this comes from a deep-seated understanding that the other person is made in the image and likeness of God. Consequently, respect is not just good manners. It stems from the fundamental understanding of the dignity of the human person from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death. And so respect is Catholic. It's pro-life. It's pro-person. Which is why I like to take a deep breath before beginning a conversation with someone about something controversial. I say a quick prayer for the gift of wisdom. And remember all the while that the person I'm speaking to is a gift from God whom he has placed not in my way, but on my way to salvation. But friends, this takes habitual practice, like any good habit. It takes practice. Because it's not easy to manage conversations that go south on us. But over time, we can engage the conversation with greater balance, kinder responses, and in the end, actually help to grow the relationship into one of trust. It's always wonderful when two people who disagree in the end can say, I'd love to talk to you more about that. It's so interesting to hear what you have to say. Could we talk more? That's a good conversation. It ends on a good note, a hopeful note. And that's what always happened in the dialogues of Socrates. He would say, perhaps we shall have a chance to speak more about this matter at a later time. In other words, the art of conversation is not about proving that I'm right 
and that you're wrong. As it is about respect for the very gift of another person, with whom I'm not called to agree or approve, but to acknowledge that they are a living icon in my midst. They are made in the image and likeness of God. This is God in my presence. Now that's a revelation that Christ gives us. So respect for the other person is a non-negotiable. It's necessary. Now, let's see how respect that we've talked about leads to mercy. Because mercy is at the heart of these readings today. And mercy is a spiritual form of respect. In the gospel today, the Canaanite woman is not a Jew. She believes in pagan gods, and she is a woman, and she's unaccompanied. These are very important factors in the scene that is set in Matthew's gospel. The ancient Jews did not understand in general that salvation could be afforded to those who were not of their covenant. If you were not Jewish, you could not be saved. Yahweh had established the covenant through Moses and Abraham, and it was for the Jews, not for the Gentiles, not for pagans of their day. Salvation was understood generally as God's gift to those who adhered to the law. So this sets the scene for this pagan woman in the gospel who is judged as an outcast, as essentially an evil person, one with whom the Jews could not stand or accept under any condition. It's why the disciples say, send her away. She's crazy. She's nuts. She's a pagan. She's unclean. So easy to dismiss her because she doesn't agree, doesn't conform to, doesn't understand the truth. She's not one of us. She's so different. She's not someone I can even talk to. So you see what's happening here. It's called disrespect. There's no respect for this woman. They can't even see her in the image and likeness of God. They're blinded to their opinion. She's deleted from their cell phone. You ever see that on your cell phone or your computer? Do you want to delete? Yes. Get rid of them. Dismiss them. I don't want them in my life at all. Hmm. So she really doesn't exist. No one wants to pay her any attention. And our Lord knows this. He knows the scene and he plays it. He says, it is not right to take the food of the children, namely the Jews, and throw it to the dogs, the Gentiles. That response must have won the approval of the disciples. They were just thrilled to see Jesus say it that way. We're right. See, Jesus said so. She's a dog. She's a Gentile. She's a pagan. She's not one of us. Now, his words suggest that he is on their side and opposed to the woman. But what he's really doing is to set up a straw man argument, which he will flip on its head very quickly. What seems like a moment of disrespect by Jesus towards her when he says it's not fit to throw food to the dogs 
actually turns out to be a moment of respect. He does not dismiss her. He does not exclude her. He doesn't send her away. He listens to her. He is attentive to her. And she is very clever. She says, please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. What a brilliant response. In other words, she wants to be part of the conversation. She doesn't want to be dismissed from the table. She's persisting. She's pleading. Even when the disciples want to send her away, she wants to stay. She's pleading to stay with the conversation. And Jesus permits her. He allows her. He respects her. The disciples did not like this, I'm sure. Which side is he on now? Her side? Hmm. So now comes, friends, the mercy part. See, mercy is God's incredible gift to all of us, without condition, without discrimination, without judgment. In his justice, he could have condemned us. But in his mercy, he has redeemed us. Now that is a different kind of religion the world has ever known. God could have condemned us all, but he chose not to do that. He chose to redeem us. This is what we call mercy. It's redemptive respect. So in his mercy, he desires to bring all of us to the table for the conversation. He does not write us off. He does not delete us. He goes beyond the judgment and embraces the pagan woman. It was her faith in him that triggers the response, O woman, great is your faith. A pagan has faith. They have faith. They're not like me. How could they have faith? They don't agree with me. They're not of my opinion or my political party. They couldn't possibly be part of this conversation, could they? And with that, the daughter is healed. Mercy now extends beyond the confines of Judaism to the Gentile world. This is why St. Paul, who is himself is a convert from Judaism to Christianity, writes in today's second reading, Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I glory in my ministry in order to make my race, the Jews, jealous. Paul desires that the mercy which Christ has extended to the Gentile world will make his own Jewish ancestry crave God's mercy all the more. In this way, the mercy which Christ offers the entire human race should rally us together, not separate us, but pull us together into his new and eternal covenant. So mercy brings people together. Without mercy, it falls apart. That's the intelligence of mercy. So as Paul concludes, for God delivered all to disobedience that he might have mercy upon all, Jew and Gentile alike. So that act of redeeming is what we call mercy. Totally unwarranted by natural standards or my 
right to it. God gives what only God can give to us, the privilege of being now called children of God through the waters of baptism, which he accomplishes through his death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through his body on earth, the church, until the end of time. So, grace and favor have now been afforded through Jesus, who is Jewish, through the Jews, by way of the Jews, for the Jews, and the Gentiles, uniting the two. Brilliant. God is so wise. So, this is not about we are right and you are wrong, or we are saved and you're not saved, or any variation on that kind of binary monkey chatter, as I've said. Rather, the gift of salvation is afforded to all. It's an invitation to all. How dare he? But he does. Echoing the prophet Isaiah in the first reading, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Can you imagine? They were willing to stone Isaiah for that. How dare he? Oh, this theme of mercy, friends, is as relevant then as it is today, right here in Washington, D.C., and you know it. So if I truly respect you in the conversation, I'm also called, perhaps even challenged, to be merciful, that is, to show you the face of the universal love of God. And the mercy I can show you follows the example of the mercy Jesus shows by dying on a cross for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. See, if I truly respect you then, I will bear difficult conversations and disagreeable words and heated tempers as a kind of cross which I must bear out of love for him who bore his cross out of immense love for us all. Again, I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to approve of your perspective, your opinion. That's fine. I am, however, to listen to you with a mind and heart disposed to the charity of mercy I owe you because I got it from him. How dare I ask for mercy and then not extend it? What a hypocrite. What a hypocrite I'd be. That's a slap in the face to the mercy of God. So in the end, I don't want to lose you through my own thick-headed stubbornness. Because in the end, friends, what was important about the conversation really was not the words, the arguments, the debates, trying to prove I'm right, you're wrong. No, no. The conversation was always about fundamentally my respect for you and my mercy for you. As he has shown us his divine mercy by dying for me, so I cannot afford not to die to myself. My pride, which always gets in the way. By the way, the word conversation comes from the word conversion. Convertere. So if I really want to have a true conversation with you, and not just a monologue, that I'm first willing to convert. Conversation means I must convert, I must change. 
to be transformed by our Lord's grace to see the divine in you. And even now, friends, we see with faith the divine which comes through the elements of bread and wine, which become the person of Jesus whom we love and whose mercies extended once again upon this altar of sacrifice for you and for me and for all until the end of time so that sins may be forgiven. Welcome to the conversation.